Welcome to Passion Life Church. Well, welcome to part one of the series that we've simply entitled Heroes. How many of you have a hero in your life? Can I just see? It may be your husband, your wife. Anybody have a hero in their life? And uh, it may be your mom, your dad. And obviously, I hope that Jesus is the greatest hero in your life. But we start this brand new series. And one of the things I've always known is that you don't just look up to people. You should look into them. Because we can look up to people and and know that they are heroes, but the question becomes, what is it about their lives that makes them great? I think that's a question that we need to ask. And so why is this series, why would this be important for you? Because one of the reasons why is we're going to look at qualities, characteristics of people in the Bible who have done amazing things, but also Passion Life Church. This is also to help us learn the Bible, learn more about the greats. What is it the heroes of the faith would want us to know? And I believe that even today in 2016, you know, I believe that there's heroes today. I believe that even we're surrounded by heroes in our lives, everyday people doing extraordinary things. But I also believe that God is still looking for more heroes today. I believe that he's still looking for people. And for some of us, it may just be a piece of wisdom. It may just be some knowledge that we need that would propel us to go into the future to do something extraordinary. Listen, God did not save you so you could have an ordinary life. Could I hear a better amen than that? God did not save you so we could be ordinary and average. He saved us so we could be extraordinary and exemplify the great life that he gave us. And so we're going to look at some people throughout the next couple of weeks that just made some decisions that propelled them into something extraordinary. If you have your Bibles, today we're going to look at a fabulously young lady. Do we have any ladies in the house? We got one? Okay, that's awesome. You got any ladies in the house today? Come on, can you sound like there's about 200 of you? Come on. Come on, ladies. Come on, come on. I want you to scream like you yell at your husbands. Come on, ready? One, two, three. Oh, there you go. See how that turned real quick. That turned real fast. Today we're looking at a lady by the name of Esther. Esther has a phenomenal story. If you have your Bible, go to Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. You know, the question I think when you talk about heroes is, are heroes born or are they made, right? And a lot of times in life, I think you can have two categories. You can have a person who their parents groom them to be a hero. Their parents raise them and put them in challenging situations. And they, they become this hero because of somebody that invested in them. And, but there's also heroes in the Bible. It's almost like heroism chose them. It wasn't so much that they were groomed to be a hero as much as they got an opportunity and they rose up to that opportunity and it made them the hero that they were. This is what we're going to see in Esther's life today. That it's almost like heroism chose Esther. It's almost like this opportunity was right in front of her and she walked right into her, into this, this moment. Now, the thing about Esther that we need to know is Esther is a hero in our faith. Esther saved the Jewish people from one of the greatest massacres that could have ever happened. 
And it was done by a young woman. And her story starts, here's, here's, here's the incredible thing about this hero. These are real people that walked on this earth, that faced real challenges. And you may find, and I believe you are, you're going to find that some of the challenges that they faced are some of the challenges that we still face today. And Esther's story starts by her having to move into another country because she was in exile. And you find Esther chapter 2, verse 5? Let's start there. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jar, the son of of Shemal, the son of Kish. Listen, I went to Bible college and I still cannot pronounce Bible names, all right? So don't feel bad when you read the Bible. I want my money back. Verse 7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman who was also known as Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So what we need to understand about Esther is that her mom and her father had passed away, had died. We don't really know how, but she was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. You are going to see in this story that there is another hero in this story, and his name is Mordecai. He is an amazing cousin to Esther. But here's where the story starts. The story starts with Esther losing her mother and her father. The story starts with her moving from her homeland into another country. One of the things that I think we're going to discover is many of these heroes emerge from great tragedy. And what I love about this is because many of us sometimes can have tragedy in our lives. And instead of them becoming the victor, they be becoming the victim, they become the victor. And so she's moving from into a country that she did not grow up in. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like you've been out of place? Have you ever felt a time in your life where you just weren't connected as you should be? I don't know, it's just sometimes, then you could probably relate to Esther. Because I think a lot of us have these moments in, at some point in our life where we feel like we're just not connecting, we're overlooked, or we don't have a place. We don't have a place. Maybe for you, you've just moved into Marietta from another place. I've met a couple people last week that, that came. They just moved from Texas into Marietta. And you know how they heard about Passion Life Church? They saw somebody's window sticker driving around. And that window sticker reminded her of her church in Texas. So she came last week. Isn't that pretty amazing? God can use a bumper sticker. Isn't that amazing? Or maybe Passion Life Church is new for you. Maybe this is a new church. It's different. And you kind of feel disconnected. You kind of feel displaced. And today what I want to do is I want to give you five lessons that I think we can learn from Esther's life. And here's the first one. When you feel uncertain about where you're at, you feel like you are misplaced. Number one, when you feel out of place, God always has a place for you on his team. She was going to be the savior, but yet she wasn't comfortable where she was at. 
And one of the things that I have found in my own life is that every time God can bring a new opportunity into my life, it feels different. How many of you know change feels different? And as well as it should. Now, honestly, this was not her choice to be relocated. She was exiled into Persia. And so it was nothing that was her choice, but yet God used that in her life to do something great. I remember, and maybe one day I will share my testimony with you, in high school, I went to six different high schools in two different states. The first time, it was because my parents went through a divorce, so I moved from Texas, and then I moved uh, to New Jersey. My parents got back together in New Jersey. We moved back to Texas. And then my senior year, I was in so much trouble. I dated a girl, and her ex-boyfriend got so upset that I was dating her that he wanted to really do some nasty things to me that I cannot say in church this morning. And so they came to my house about 1 o'clock in the morning with baseball bats, broke all of the windows in my house, and that day really made me upset. And so I went back and I threatened them, and it turned into uh, one day at school where they had brought machine guns, not machine guns, but they had brought guns to school. My friend said, this is the day. They, I saw it. They have the guns. It's in, it's in their, um, their trunk. Today, after school, they're going to shoot you, man. And so I just remember being so rebellious, so hard-hearted, I didn't care and after school we went out and I'm telling you it was like a showdown in a, in, a, in a West Texas movie and I'm telling you there was probably about a hundred people in the parking lot and there was about 10 of them 10 of us and I will never forget this one of my friends just grabbed me from behind and pulled me in his car as everybody started to fight there was a helicopter that came over we made the evening news but somebody pulled me from behind into his car and took me home. And even in all that, I believe that God was working through my mother's prayers. That my mom was praying for me. And you know, we made the evening news, but I couldn't go back to school. So I had to move to New Jersey where my aunt was. And man, I was a wreck. My heart was broken. And I totally felt misplaced. And you know, in those moments at 19 years old, in that moment, I met two pastor's kids. Because see, I was a pastor's son. And I didn't know anything about really God and a good relationship, what that meant. I was always rebellious, and it was my fault. And I met two pastor's kids because my aunt says, if you live here, you're going to church with me. I said, all right, I got nothing to lose. And I met these two guys who were surfing, and I was from Texas, and I'm like, man, that's really cool. And, and so it's just through our friendship. Can I just say, don't discount your friends. Don't discount the people at work because they're watching your lives. And they just befriended me and they showed me how to surf. And, and, you know, it was in that place where I was misplaced that I found God's purpose for my life. And I rededicated my life. But you know what? It didn't feel, I didn't feel connected to anybody. But in those moments, God showed me that even though I was misplaced, God had a place for me on his team. And so don't just go with the feelings because God, and here's what heroes will do. Listen to this. Heroes will see purpose even when they're misplaced. Because Esther had every reason to say, my parents died. This is not my country. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. But you know what? She didn't lose sight of God's purpose. And the Jews, they were, like I said, exiled into Persia and under the king, which his name at that time was Xerxes. He's a very popular king. If you look back, uh, 
Persia at that time was an amazing, amazing empire, millions and millions of people. And the story shifts here because Xerxes has this feast. Now, it wouldn't be a feast like you and I have it. He has a feast for 180 days. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to fast like at least that much after you eat all that. Historians tell us that he had this feast for 180 days because he was going to announce to all of his officials that after that he was going to attack Greece. And so he throws this uh, huge feast, a thousand of his officials come, and also he was going to unveil his beautiful wife. It is said that uh, King Xerxes had a wife named Vashti, and Vashti was beautiful to the point, so beautiful that they kept her hidden. And after this feast, they were going to unveil her, and she didn't like that. She didn't like being a trophy wife. She said, what? So this is it? After 180 days, you're just going to, you're going to ever Reveal me to your drunken friends. I am not a trophy wife. I will not go to this party. Well, it's a little bit of a problem because when the king summons you, you better come. And she did not attend. So King Xerxes listens to his cronies, and his cronies say, well, just banish her. And so King Xerxes says, I will banish you from my sight for the rest of my life. There's a problem with this because in Persian law, once the king made a law, you could not overturn that law. Not even the king could overturn his own law. So I think the next day when he woke up and he was a little bit sober, he probably thought, what did I just do? And so here come his officials. Well, you know what? Since you're not going to see Vashti anymore. Let's find you a mate. Let's find you a beautiful, a beautiful girl. And let's have a beauty pageant. Let's get all the most beautiful girls in all of the kingdom, which are probably thousand. Persian women are beautiful women. And so they, they looked and they held a beauty contest. You know how long this beauty contest lasted? For four years. Guess who enters the contest? Esther. And just turn over or go down to verse 17. Esther enters the contest and look at verse 17, Esther chapter 2, verse 17. It says, now the king was attracted to Esther. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of us need to read our Bible. Come on, this is better than Games of Thrones. Come on. Now the king was a... You know what that, how do you know what that is? Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women and, women, and she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now, here's something that's important. Mordecai told Esther, do not let the king know that you are a Jew. Let's keep that on the DL. Let's keep that on the down low that you are a Jew. Do not tell anybody. Esther wins this beauty contest. And I think Esther would tell us today, number two, here's the number two lesson for my life. Listen, believe in the impact of God's favor in your life. 
Well, Pastor Phil, are you telling me that I have to be beautiful? No, you're already beautiful because the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. But if that's all you get from this story, you're missing the mark. Out of thousands and thousands of women, King Xerxes would pick one woman, and because Esther had the favor of God on her life, she gets to be queen over all of Persia. And Esther would say, wherever you're at today, believe in the favor and the impact of that favor in your life. Can I tell you that favor makes you attractive? You know what favor is? I was looking at, at I said, what, what is favor? It's God's grace in your life. And it's not just grace with God. It's grace with people. You know, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says this. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. And man, God's favor comes from his mercy. The Bible says his mercies are new every single morning. When we woke up today, his mercies are new. My church family, can I just tell you, you are favored by God because of who he is. Just like, come on, let's just be honest. Just like you favor your children. Come on, somebody. If I tell you to watch my kids or my kid, and you got your kids, and I leave, Where's your eye going to be? Not on my kid, on your kid. And I'm telling you, you need to believe in the impact of God's favor that out of thousands and thousands of women, he picked Esther. And you need to believe in that impact. Next time you're filling out a job application, believe, come on somebody, believe on the impact of God's favor in your life. All you single ladies, and you have this idea of who this guy is supposed to be, you know who he is, believe in the impact of God's favor in your life. Don't settle. Don't settle. God's favor, you know what it really does? It allows people to see you as God sees you. And I believe this can even happen with somebody who doesn't know Christ. You can sit before an interview with somebody who doesn't know God, and th this is what they say. They don't call it favor. They say this, there's something different about you, and that's favor. And I like to flow with favor. You know what's so interesting about the book of Esther? In the book of Esther, did you know that God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther? But in the book of Esther, there's not another book in the Bible where it is more evident that God is moving behind the scenes. And little did Esther know that through favor, God was moving behind the scenes. Come on, and I came all the way from Wildemar, California to tell you today that God is moving behind the scenes in your life. And you need to bring, begin to believe in the impact of God's favor. And here's what's great about Mordecai. Under Esther becoming the queen, Mordecai now becomes a city official. And Mordecai is just hanging out one day in one of his robes or whatever he wore back then that he got it, you know, Gucci or whatever. And uh, he's got his, his cool sandals. And he hears a plot from two guards about killing King Xerxes. And he takes this information and he takes it to Esther and says, hey, they're going to kill the king. Esther goes to the, the king and they assassinate the two guys who came up with this plot. How many of you know Esther grew in influence there with the king? And then if you turn over to chapter 3 in Esther, the king, King Xerxes, makes a big mistake. And this is when the plot thickens. This is when things start to get really good. 
In chapter 3, King Xerxes appoints a guy by the name of Haman. Now, Haman is an egomaniac. Egomaniac, what does that mean? Let me, let, me, let me describe that. When he gets into power, Haman signs a law that whenever he is out in public, everybody must bow down to him. Well, he's out in public one day, and guess what? Guess who's watching him? Mordecai's watching him, and everybody bows down but Mordecai. Because Mordecai says, I will not bow down to any man. I only bow down to the one true God. It reminds me of three guys that I know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that said, I will not bow. And Mordecai will not bow. Well, you know what? That ticks Haman off. Now, there's something you need to know about Haman's background. Haman is an Amalekite. If you were here when we went through the giant series, I took you through every giant that the Israelites faced, and one of the tribes that they had to face was the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the ones that came to David when he was in the land of the Philistines, and they burned the city and they took their wives. It was the Amalekites that Joseph's brothers sold Joseph to. It was the Amalekites who were descendants of this king in the Bible called Agag. I want you to listen to this. Agag was around when King Saul was around, and God told King Saul, you need to kill King Agag. And guess what? Saul was disobedient and did not kill King Agag. And you know what I find? It's a, it, this is a great example of what happens when leadership doesn't deal with the things that God tells them to deal with. And now the generations to come have to deal with the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a thorn in Israel's side, and the Amalekites hated the Jews. And we are talking about, and this Haman is involved in this story because Saul didn't do what Saul was supposed to do. Saul was supposed to kill King Agag, but now the descendants were coming up and hated the Jews. And so they were a constant, constant thorn in their side. So Haman comes up with this plot. I'm going to kill Mordecai. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to kill all the Jews. I'm going to kill all the Jews. And this is what he did because he was very, very sneaky. He goes to the king and says, king, there are a certain people. This is important. He didn't say they were Jews. He said there's certain people who do not obey your laws, and we need to get rid of all of them. All of them. Now, little does King Xerxes know that his wife, Esther, is a Jew. And all of this comes about because one man wouldn't bow. I wonder what would happen today at Passion Life Church if we had Christians who had a backbone like Mordecai and wouldn't bow and compromise to certain things. I said this at Life Group the other night. What it would be like if Christians, if we had a backbone where we stood up and not just caved in. But you know what? Mordecai would not bow. And so Mordecai hears of this plot that all his people are going to be killed. And so he gets in sackcloth and ashes and he starts fasting. And some of, of uh, Esther's uh, people see Mordecai and say, what's going on? He looked depressed. And, and uh, she, he says, well, you have to tell, you have to tell Esther. Esther, that this plot, that what's going to happen, Esther sends him clothes. He doesn't want the clothes. He wants to stay in sackcloth and ashes. She brings him food. He doesn't want food. And he tells Esther, listen, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make a stand. You're going to have to go before the king. Here's where it gets really good. Because 
in order for Esther to go before the king, she had to be summoned. She hadn't been summoned for 30 days. The rule was, by King Xerxes himself, was that if you came before the king unsummoned, if he did not extend his rod to you, then you could be killed. And Esther was saying and writing back to Mordecai, because how many of you know they didn't have text messages back then? They didn't have Facebook back then. They have emails, so they're writing back and forth. And Mordecai's like, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to go before the king. Esther's writing back, do you know what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to go before the king, and I will be unsummoned. You're asking me to put my life on the line. Turn over to chapter 4, Esther chapter 4, and here Mordecai's writing back to Esther, and listen to what he tells Esther. Esther chapter 4, verse 13, he says this. He's writing to Esther. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone and all the Jews will escape? If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come into this royal position for such a time as this. What a sobering letter that Mordecai is saying. Mordecai is saying this. Listen, Esther, you need to understand a couple of things. Don't think that you won't die either because you're a Jew. And when he finds out that you're a Jew, you will perish also. So you need to go before the king. In other words, at least if you go before the king, maybe you're going to find some favor. And so here's another lesson I think that Esther would tell us about her life. Heroes, number three, always embrace self-sacrifice. I knew I would not get an amen on that. Because this is a lost art in our culture today. Because everything is about us. All the time, me, 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 me. Or in French, moi. Spanish, yo. That's, it's all about how everything affects me. And Esther would tell us that if you're going to be a hero, there's going to be great times where you're going to have to embrace self-sacrifice. And Esther is about to make a decision to help, I want you to hear this, oppressed people. The Jews were oppressed people. But also she's about to help people that she's never even met because of what her life represents. And Mordecai says this, if you don't make a decision, don't think they won't kill you. But here's another sobering thought that I think all of us need to hear. Mordecai says this, not only may you perish, but God will bring deliverance from another place. Because God's will is going to be done. God's will is going to set these people free. But Esther, do you want to be involved in making the difference? Do you want to be a part of this? Or do you just want to sit back and watch it happen? See, one of the things that I've known is that God's will will be done, and God will work with people. He will speak to you. He will tell you, get on board. I want to use your life to make a difference. And I think about that when I think about our community, and I think about Marietta. God is bringing salvation to Marietta, but will you be a part of that? God is, God is bringing deliverance to our community, but are you going to sit back and watch everybody and go, I wonder when things are going to change over here. 
Or are you going to get a backbone and say, sign me up. I want to make a difference. I, I've been in the church world so long, and I just watch people. I don't know why the church doesn't do baking muffins ministry. Well, if God's putting a, a calling on your heart to start baking muffins ministry, you better start baking, baby. Because here's what I have found. People say, oh, I want a baking muffins ministry. And I will ask, do you want to be a part of baking muffins ministry? I don't want to be a part of that. Well, then why are you bringing it up? You think I want to bake muffins? I can't even make ramen noodles. Come on, somebody. If God's putting something on your heart, you better get up and do it. Because he's putting it on your heart. He's putting it in you. And Mordecai is saying, listen, deliverance is coming, but what are you going to do about it? How many people have to stand by before somebody will do something? And Mordecai is saying, listen, you need to know something, Esther. Deliverance is coming, but you were made for this moment. You were made for this moment. And it's not a coincidence, Esther, that you happen to be the queen and Esther would say this, and here's the fourth lesson. Esther would tell you, you were made for this moment in time. And here's Mordecai's words that always fire me up. I hope it fires you up because Mordecai says, Esther, you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, this was not about a beauty pageant. This wasn't about how you looked in your clothes and, and, and how gorgeous you were. Esther, God had a bigger plan than all of this. Esther, you have been called for this moment and you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, God has put favor on your life to make a difference and now is the time. In my church family, can I just tell you in 2016 you are not in the kingdom of God by accident you are in the kingdom of God because God called you into his kingdom can I hear a good amen this morning it is not by accident that you are here you know what there are still people that are not saved and not in the kingdom of God but you are and it is not an accident I love when people say oh I found Jesus you did not find Jesus Jesus was not lost you were lost and God found you. And you know what he does? He calls you into his kingdom. It is not by accident that you have, are in the kingdom, that you are here today, and that God wants to use your life right now in July of 2016. You've been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I think when you get to heaven, you're going to realize something. It was never about your job. It was never about what status that you had. It was always about making a difference for God's kingdom. You are in the job that you are today because God wants you to make a difference for his kingdom. There are people in your life that your life is supposed to affect. You know why? Because you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. You were made for this moment and God has a mission for your life. So heroes, they always, they're people who recognize needs and they step up and not away from them. Not away from them. Your life has always been about making a difference. And here's what 
Esther says. She tells all the people. Let's pray. Come on. I'm not going to do this by myself. Let's pray. And he, she tells her people, come on, let's fast. Let's pray because God's going to do this. Esther chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Are you glad you came this morning? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Listen, now she writes back. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you, and I will go to the king. Listen to these words. And even though it will be against the law, if I perish, I perish. Wow. I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm glad that this is a woman because I love this. I love courage. And today, if, I think if this was a guy, everybody say, yeah, he's probably doing that because he's a guy. No, this is God using a woman for his honor and his glory. And here's the last lesson that Esther would say. Esther would tell us that God empowers us for his purposes. She's praying, and she knows that stepping in to the king's quarters, unsummoned, could cost her her life. But she sees a bigger picture. And she says, you know what? I'm going to embrace self-sacrifice. And I'm going to believe in the impact of the favor of God. God not only selected me for this moment, but empowered me for this moment. And I thought just because we're talking about heroes today, one of the great ways to end is what would this moment be like? So I brought you a movie clip. Is it okay we look at a movie clip in, in church? If you have not seen One Night with the King, it's a Christian movie. It's the whole story of Esther. But I thought, how could I convey to you what this moment would be like? And then I thought, the Holy Spirit told me, why don't you just show him a movie clip? And so I want to show you maybe what this would be like for Esther going in to the king unsummoned. It's not Walt Disney, it's real life. It's in the Bible. You know what's amazing is that after that, the king says, why would you come to me unsummoned? She says, because I wanted to invite you to a dinner. A dinner. A dinner. So she invites the king and Haman to a dinner. And the story comes to a close. And what's interesting is that Haman... There's so many lessons in here, and please forgive my time for just a moment, but Haman goes home, and he's so excited that the king had invited him to a dinner. And he's walking home, and guess who he runs into? Mordecai. And Mordecai is still not bowing. And he gets so mad. He goes home, and he tells his wife. I want you to hear this. There's such a principle here. He goes to his wife and says, I am going before the king. He invited me, but I cannot be happy because Mordecai, one man, will not bow. I thought about that in our own lives. How true is that sometimes where things are going so good in our lives, and yet one thing that is not what we think it should be or going our way can rob us of all of our joy? And Haman, he's mad. He says, but I'm going to this dinner. And so he goes to the dinner with the king and Esther. Some of Haman's men say, listen, why don't we set up some gallows in the courtyard and the king's going to be happy. Esther's there. You're going to be there. At this dinner, it may be a good time to ask the king if you can hang Mordecai, kill him. Has, the king will be festive, so he sets up these gallows in the courtyard, goes to the dinner, 
And so everything and all the plot is unveiled. But guess what? King Xerxes could not come back on his law that he made with those certain people. Esther reveals that Haman had a plot to kill all of her people. And so Xerxes, this is what he does. Instead of he can't go back on his word, but this is what he can do. He says the Jewish people can defend themselves. And this is a story that only God can orchestrate because Haman put up these gallows to hang Mordecai. And during the fight, Haman was hung on the very gallows that he set up for Mordecai. God working behind the scenes. All 10 of Haman's sons were all killed. And the Jewish people prevailed. There's one thing I think when we talk about Esther, that statement that Mordecai says to her, I think is the biggest statement probably in this book of Esther. But there's one more thing that Esther does that I don't think we talk about enough. Do you know that while all of this is going on, Queen Esther is raising King Xerxes' stepson? Why is that important? Because as she is raising the king's stepson, King Xerxes' stepson would be the king that would give Nehemiah the approval to build the wall back in Jerusalem. So this is what's amazing, is that while she's raising King Xerxes' sons, his son, he is getting a heart for the Jewish people. Wow. And Nehemiah would come along after that, and he would give Nehemiah the approval to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Esther, today her life speaks to us. And what I love about this series is it's a reminder to each and every one of us, I don't care how old you are today, that your life, my life, speaks to people. And it's a sobering reminder. I want you to hear me, dad, mom, single people. Our lives will speak far beyond when we are gone. And my question to you today is, what is your life saying to people? See, Esther is a legend. And I love the Bible because we can look at her life and it speaks to us about being at a place for such a time as this. Purpose, destiny. But years from now, what are people going to say about your life? Will they say that you were self-sacrificing? Will they say that the favor of God was on your life? Will they say that you served other people or you were all about yourself? Our lives today, ladies and gentlemen, speak. Years from now, they will speak. And can I just encourage you? Don't let feelings of disconnectedness, misplacement rob you from God's favor and God's purpose in your life. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.